0: All right, this is the New Glares Brewing Podcast with Dan Carey. I am uh, Scott May, and we have Dan Carey here in our little uh, makeshift brew house studio. Uh, this is height of travel season for Dan as he is going out in the world and checking on raw materials and auditing mall houses and doing all sorts of just super interesting brewmaster stuff that I always, <laughs> always love to talk about. Dan, where, where are you coming back from uh, just now? Well, uh, I, I think people are probably getting the idea by now
1: that mostly what I do is think about, uh, beer styles, beer recipes and, uh, uh, procuring raw materials. So I, uh, it's harvest time coming up on harvest, uh, very soon. And, uh, I was, went to the Czech Republic to, um, Moravia, Eastern, uh, uh Czech Republic to, uh, audit a couple of malt houses uh, as we think about the future raw materials, mm-hmm. and also to look at the barley harvest in the area called the Hana Valley, which is the iconic grounds uh, ground zero for malting barley. The historically uh, for for decades, uh, if not longer, um, people have identified this area, this valley, as the best barley in the world and most of the barley brewing barley around the world has has some if not a lot of genes from Mm -hmm. barley that was first isolated in this area so I went there went to farms went to a couple of malt houses uh, and then I also did a study tour in Belgium to visit uh, breweries Um, all kinds of uh, breweries in Belgium and one in the Netherlands just as a study tour to get some idea new ideas fresh thinking about beer.
0: You know, that's really cool. And the first, uh, so you were in Vienna, Austria and the Czech Republic and in, in Belgium mostly. Yeah. Yep. And one of the things when I heard you were going back to the Czech Republic and we were jo- a little bit joking around about it when, uh, before we started recording and that you first went to the Czech Republic in like 86 somewhere. Yeah. Somewhere yeah I think
1: maybe? it was 86.
0: Like, yeah, you can't run for president cause they like, oh, he visited the, the Soviet union in the yeah, 80s. Yeah, that's
1: right. Well, it was under the Soviet blanket for sure. So uh, can
0: you, and I know you've mentioned this trip before, but I, I never really uh, asked about it in detail. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about that first trip you took to the Czech Republic and just, you know, how traveling in and out of it worked for you? Because that must have been difficult at the time.
1: Yeah, it it was. It was, um, I took a train from, uh, from Germany and uh, it was sort of like going to Oz, you know, mm-hmm. like when everything goes from black and white to color, well, crossing the Iron Curtain into a, a Soviet bloc country. Everything was black and white. Everything was dour and gray. And it really had a feel of 1950s, like looking at the world in a 1950s TV show in black and white, uh, very um, severe. You know, like the um, brutalist architecture. And- well, you know, Prague uh, is, a, is an absolutely beautiful city. And in those days, I mean, the architecture was spectacular. Mm-hmm. But... Um, the like the the stores the markets would have uh like a the the display in the stores in Prague which is you know the New York City of Czech Republic Mm -hmm. or at that time Czechoslovakia was like stacks of of canned peas for example and that was like all they had and so it was it was pretty severe but getting across the border they stopped the train at the border and um Guys came through with um, with AK-47s. Uh, of course, no smiling, no welcome. Welcome to the to Czechoslovakia. You know, they were... Glad you're here. Uh, yeah, exactly. They were, you know, basically, why are you here? And yeah. every they had a, you know uh, um, I think at that time you needed a visa, you know, look at your uh, passport, you had to change a certain amount of money into the check currency, check crowns. You you had to, you had to buy a certain amount. And, uh, and that was, I think, a way for them to get foreign currency Mm -hmm. at that point. And, uh, so it was, the train stopped for a long time and they had, you know, like German shepherds. It was kind of like an old Nazi movie. Um, and, um, Then they finally let us through and we, we, uh, I think I first, first place I went to was Pilsen. Mm -hmm. And, uh, as I said, it was very dark and gray. I think, you know, as a brewer, I I mainly was traveling in the winter in those days. I think it was fall, October-ish. So it was gray and, you know, maybe a little drizzly or snowy and, um, dour, as I said. But I went to, um... Pilsner Urquell Brewery. Now, nowadays Pilsner Urquell has like a big visitor center and yeah. they have lots of um they have uh you know running tours and and a visitor center and you can you can drink beer there and when I was there it was pretty much um <laughs> gray and locked up. Mm-hmm. And
0: like they, um, they weren't saying like here's our beer garden. No come, come no, try no. some Pilsner.
1: No, no, not at all. Uh, uh, you know, I think, um, communism is just, just depressing. Everybody's just depressed. Why bother really is kind of, I think the feeling that I got from people. And, um, but I went to the brewery and I rang the doorbell at the front. They have a big gate at, uh, Pilsner And, um, of course I don't speak any Czech. I know like four words mm. and, um, they don't speak any English, but, at that time in 86, pretty much someone told me that if you go to Czech Republic, find an old person because the young people are learning Russian in school, but the older people that came from older time would speak German. Mm-hmm. So I have my Germans good enough that I said, oh, I'm an American brewmaster, I'm visiting, is there any chance that I could see your brewery? And the brewmaster... Um, came to meet me and the funny thing is I went back um, last year to the brewery and that same brewmaster he's retired now and he's mm-hmm. he's three brewmasters back but he was still there and he showed me around again so it was really kind of cool not now he's you know obviously very he's very old he's in his in his mid-80s mm-hmm. but we had a nice tour around the brewery, but it's very different now than it was then because when the Soviets came in after the war, the brewing technology was pretty much locked in to more or less 1930s technology. Yeah, so whatever they had then. Exactly, which was oak tanks, wooden ferment. They still have oak tanks there, but it really is just for the tourists. They, they use stainless steel vertical tanks now. But um, in those days, everything was miles and miles of 60 hectoliter with that 6,000 liter oak tanks in a, in like subway tunnels of caves, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these and open fermenters, um, old copper brew house. And it was really made in the technology of the 1800s mm-hmm. and, um, spent the day at the, at the brewery and got to taste the beer and which was really, you know, really exciting. Um, Prague nowadays is a very international city. It's There's a lot of expats, a lot of Americans live there now. Mm-hmm. It's very um, cosmopolitan. It's pretty much everybody speaks English. It's full of um, bars for tourists and T-shirt shops and um, very, very touristy. Yeah, a whole different vibe. Yeah, very much so it's it's a beautiful city it's i uh, don't get me wrong but a lot of the locals are you know they're kind of fatigued because there's a lot of knucklehead tourists that come and you know drink their fill of beer and act stupid and but in in 86 no you would not do that i don't no. think i don't think i'd want to overconsume and be an idiot on the street cuz you might like end up in jail. some gulag or something yeah um and in 86 there really wasn't there was a hotel uh, for, for foreigners, um, and I'm sure it was just crawling with KGB agents, but there's no way that I could afford to stay there at that hotel. So mm-hmm. um, at the train station, you could, you know, I, I don't know if it's just still the way that it used to be, but you could you could go stay at somebody's house and you pay a nominal fee and you you stay at somebody's apartment and they, you know, they feed you and you, you know, you pay, pay them a little bit of money and uh, like a B and B almost yeah. as a house guest. So I stayed with a young family, um, husband and wife with, with two daughters. And one of the daughters was like a really good tennis player. And, you know, in Czech Republic tennis is kind of a big deal. Yeah. So I ended up sending them, you know, clothes and, and shoes tennis shoes that they couldn't get you know whatever the nike or adidas shoes that they couldn't find on yeah. the eastern uh country so that was kind of how i paid them back but i stayed there in prague and is absolutely it was an absolutely beautiful beautiful city of course it was tired and the and the stucco was falling off the walls and um i was pretty much as far as i could tell the only westerner that mm-hmm. was there there was a lot of um Students in Prague, uh, mostly from Vietnam, uh, uh, from uh, Eastern Germany, mm-hmm. uh, from Russia and from Africa. A lot of maybe the more um, left leaning African countries sent students there because I think the education in Czech Republic was in Czechoslovakia was Pretty good for an Eastern Bloc country. Yeah. So there's a lot. It was it was it was international, but it was international with with non Western people. Which yeah, inter- was kind international. Of
0: like this is where you can send your your uh, send students and, and whoever if they're not going to be going to. London, or yeah,
1: well, yeah. Well, you know, if you're like 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 Cubans mm-hmm. or people that that are with uh, sympathetic communists or socialist countries, were sending their young people there to go to school in Prague. is a beautiful city. I yeah. mean, to walk around, but it's not like I mean, there, there's no really no no restaurants. There's no tourist. There was no tourist infrastructure at that time, so it was like walking around a museum. Um, so everything little,
0: just got freeze framed at yeah, a certain exactly. at a certain
1: point. One hundred percent. It just yes, everything got frozen in you know uh, whatever that you know nineteen thirty six. Yeah, uh, because certainly the 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 checks are um, absolutely artistic, um, intelligent, uh, hardworking, um, entrepreneurial people. Uh, and I mean, you look at people like Mucha and the the art the the. Um, the artists and the the writers, uh, Kafka, and yeah. all of these these great uh, um, thinkers and artists that have come out of their culture, and that the the, the uh, they have great manufacturing, but but the communist communist government really um, did a number on them, really put them back. They say two generations it's going to take before they relearn these things, um, and of course, you know, they had a extended a visit from the Nazis, and then they had. Uh, guests uh, from the Soviet Union. So, for a long time, they were uh, they were held down. Well, and
0: yeah, and it's just so interesting when you start talking about this stuff because you take a brewery like Pilsner Urquell, and you know just the sheer amount of history that one brewery has seen, just standing its stoic self in this one place. Yeah, with you, no
1: changes, just like like you said, frozen in time.
0: Yeah. But it's, it was definitely different this time you went. Oh, uh, And you said uh, this is a, a big malting area. So what is sort of um, auditing a malt house? And is this sort of like a prerequisite to then figuring out what lots you want to buy? Is yes. this like the, yes. the legwork before the work, I guess?
1: Well, for us to buy raw materials, it's um, it's a big investment, a mm-hmm. um, commitment. And we when we have a supplier, we don't like to change because... Um, buying raw materials is a relationship and it's it's a personal relationship with people Mm -hmm. so to go to visit a malt house there's first of all who are the players who are the people what 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 um you have to ask questions and who's in charge and who's who's really in charge who manages the plant do the workers make eye contact sometimes i'll go to a factory and the workers are scowling and they will look down when i walk by and you can see that it's angry or maybe there's graffiti on the wall or uh, whatever you know um, offensive uh, calendars in, in the locker room and things like that so you're looking for How's the morale of the people? Um, How engaged are they? Uh, How clean is the plant? How well-maintained the machinery is? This malt house was a floor malting that's been in operation since 1895. Uh, But the the outside was, you know, as I said, in typical modern Czech fashion, there's not a lot of money spent on renovating the outside. But the inside of the plant was meticulously clean. The walls were... Were uh, freshly white uh, whitewashed. Uh, uh, a lot of people cleaning the the machinery that they're using. I've only seen in museums. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very old school way of making malt called floor malting. And, but everything was well-maintained and painted and organized and the malt was good. They had a little brewery. They had nice beer. Uh, It was kind of fun because they, they took a variety that was, um, oh, about 140 years old Mm -hmm. and they, they took the seeds and they grew it up and they made a beer with 140 year old variety versus the modern, for a descendant of that variety, made two lager beers. Yeah, so we got to taste that and get a sense for how the beer has um, has changed. And how, how um,
0: stark was the difference between the two? It beers? was
1: pretty significant. Yeah, um, uh, I think that the the newer malt was less husky. Mm-hmm. If, uh, maybe people don't know what that means, but it was more harmonious, smoother. Mm-hmm. You know, the barley from when the first the first. A uh, European uh, continental variety that was really specifically bred um, by a man by the name of Manuel Proskowitz, who was in, in this valley. He was like five miles from this malt house. Yeah. Uh, in 1880, he 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 selected this variety, and it became uh, it became the, the 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 only variety that was grown for many many years. And it's it's this it's called the Hana variety, and it's pretty much it's just it's it's in every variety that's around the world brewing barley that's around the world yeah nowadays but the, it, it those in those days the barley was taller and thinner mm-hmm. so there was more hull more husk per unit of grain higher I, protein I
0: it's like when you see you know the original sort of corn and it's yeah it's much skinnier go.
1: Exactly. Yeah. That's right. And so the, the 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 amount of protein was much higher. the The maltability and brewability was much more difficult. And there was, as I said, much more hull or husk to to, to grain. And and mm-hmm. you know, if you eat if you eat whole whole grain bread, you, you know that the the husk is what gets caught in your teeth. <laughs> you can't really eat it. It yeah. doesn't. So this it doesn't have a good taste. That's
0: why I stick to my Sara Lee. <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly. So. um uh it it it, the the modern breeding has um has created a better better brewing barley and in particular in czech republic they have a um since the early 2000s they have a geographically protected denomination which is called uh uh, Chesky or Mm -hmm. Czech lager, Czech beer, and it has to be made in a certain way. And it has to be made with certain barley varieties. And these barley varieties are more old school. They're more, uh, they're more full flavored. They're more less digested. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, and, uh, they're the type of barley that's required to make malt for a Czech style beer. And so a beer like, um, like like Two Women or our mm-hmm. Pilsner, those are the types of malt that we use. In a lot of our beers, we use this type of malt yeah. to get that, I'm going to call it that flavor with mm-hmm. air quotes, which is a fuller, richer flavor. Um, and uh, uh, the modern barley variety is the descendant of the originals, but in my opinion, it's better. Mm-hmm. And the old varieties were very tall. So the amount of straw to to kernels, to to ear, to grain, to ear, to to amount of, to barley kernels was was higher. So um, nowadays they they don't like that because they they lodge, meaning they fall over in wind or yeah. rain, and that's not good. So mostly they they sp- would have to spray such barleys with growth regulators to keep the straw short. But it's better if you can find barley that has genetically predisposed to make a shorter, shorter straw, so you have more grain and less straw, and uh, nobody wants to spray their plants with things. So
0: yeah, so the the genetics really do come into come into play year over year, and as these oh, things yeah. evolve and as these things develop. Yeah. Well,
1: people have been breeding selecting uh, for for better crops and better animals for, I don't know, thousands Mm, and thousands of years.
0: So for when you go over there and you you've now audited this malt house and i know you uh work with a lot of malt houses here in wisconsin yeah. in, in minnesota as well yes yes but
1: by, by far the bulk of our uh malt uh, I, I mean you know we're talking maybe 10 percent from overseas 90 90 plus percent come from wisconsin manitowoc and shakopee
0: so then are you looking at sort of these sort of uh specified check malt houses for things like uh new glaris pilsner uh, yeah. more specialty kind yes. of beers that deal
1: yes yes
0: very cool and, and but uh but the new
1: pilsner is made with a blend of u.s and czech varieties so it's a little bit of both gotcha and that was just a fortuitous <laughs> thing that happened and, and people really li- like the beer they thought oh, yeah this t- tastes really good so it's funny because it's it's a blend of of u.s and czech barley varieties so sometimes complexity comes from a, a s- um sympathetic marriage
0: well, and, that, and I'm glad you mentioned, uh, mentioned that. And, and, and I think a lot of this legwork you do sort of year over year lends itself to what has sort of played out over this summer with both uh Pilsner and New Glarus IPA. Because, you know, in talking about both those beers over the course of the summer as they were, as they were getting released... It was sort of these marriages of of uh, European and American raw materials yes. that that was sort of born out of these of these trips. Am I sort of on the right track? Y- yeah, hundred percent. And both those beers seem to have uh, have found their resonance out there in the in the greater beer drinking I hope so. community. So. I hope so. But you didn't just go to the Czech Republic. You said you started off in Vienna, Austria, right? Yep. What, what were you doing over in Vienna?
1: Well. Um, there's really not an easy way to get to Moravia which eastern uh Czech Republic um uh to get to the Hana Valley and this closest place is Vienna Mm -hmm. which is kind of funny because um all of those places are so close together like Vienna used to be the capital uh you know of the Austro-Hungarian Empire and um it's it was like about a two hour drive, so mm-hmm. I, I flew there and rented a car. You know, and if you go to, it's not too far from Budweis, uh, B- B- Ces- Ceske Budejovice, yeah. which is where the original Budweiser comes from, and which is maybe akin to a Munich style Helles, which mm-hmm. Munich's not that far away, and so it's different than say Pilsen, which is farther north. So this this all these areas are relatively close together. Yeah. So I went to Vienna, and that's where I flew into because that was the closest place to get to, uh, to Moravia.
0: All right. So it's sort of like, uh, you know, how we're kind of fortunate in the Midwest is like, you're flying out of, you know, basically from like the line from Austin up to Chicago, any of those airports, you're about halfway between everywhere.
1: Yep. And yeah. So if, uh, you know, fly to Chicago to go to Madison for Milwaukee, for example.
0: Nice. Nice. And, and one of the things that one of the countries you went to uh, on this trip um, and you, you had mentioned at the top uh, was sort of this this idea of the study tour of going to breweries in, in Belgium. Yeah. And Belgium is one of my I've only visited once, but it's like high on my list of, of countries that I just I, I have loved to go to just because of the sheer concentration of Different styles of weird breweries yeah. within its borders. Yeah, it's very eclectic. For where, sure. where did you end up going in your sort of study uh, tour?
1: Okay, so uh, from Vienna, so I I, I put tie these two together because I wanted to go for before the barley was harvested, and I wanted to see this malt house, and I went actually went to two malt houses. But then I had uh, um, traveled around uh, Belgium with a friend uh, mm-hmm. who lives near Ghent, and so I, I flew to Brussels, then I took the train to Ghent. We met and we visited, um, visited small, small new, new breweries. Mm-hmm. Uh, we visited, uh, Lambic Brewery. Yeah. Um, we visited, uh, Ale Brewery. We visited Trappist Brewery in the, in the Netherlands. We visited St. Bernardus, which is a, uh, uh, iconic, um, used to, they used to brew the beer for West Flader so mm-hmm. they make monastic style beers. Yeah. So it's not a monastery. Um, yeah, and just kind of spent sp- spent days with touring the breweries with with, with you know brewing technicians or brewmasters.
0: Well, and, and and sort of your description there brings up uh, an interesting question in my mind. Now you said you know you sort of focused on sort of newer breweries in, in Belgium on the in, at the top half of the trip, and uh, especially uh, re- you know dealing with like the lambic breweries, right? Mm-hmm. Sort, of, sort of newer breweries in that space. Is, is that because sort of like, you know, the canteons of the world um, and the, I always mispronounce the name, like the Dry Frontines, I guess. Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, it's it's established and it's good and you, and you know what you're going to get. But are the, the sort of the newer players on the block doing more interesting things, sort of changing the game? Uh, how are they operating in that space?
1: Well, the um, spontaneous beer or sour beer uh world in belgium is, is is in flux right now um uh the the owner of uh, dre and he mm-hmm. he passed away recently he oh, unfortunately uh, had cancer um and a lot of the old school uh breweries and brewers are are retiring or closing and um they come from a time of decreasing sales you know through the 80s and 90s really nobody was drinking uh, spontaneous beers uh, anymore. Although they used to be the, the what people drank in, in Brussels. But. Yeah,
0: it's kind of funny. It's one of those things that's been around forever, but it seems like it just like got invented again in like yeah. two thousand and five.
1: Well, everything is sort of cyclical. <clears throat> things mm-hmm. kind of come and go. Uh, you know, I mean, you look at things like, like American bourbon that was dead for when only people drank white uh, uh, spirits and now, now it's the exact opposite. So things kind of, kind of um, uh, um, wane, wane in, or or when wax. So, uh, so um, uh, the, um, the, the Lambic breweries were on their way out down and then Michael Jackson, the beer writer kind of piqued people's interest mm-hmm. and so it used to be that lambic beers were for everyday people but now they're sort of esoteric uh, beer nerd yeah. types of things and so uh, they have a resurgence and there's a lot of young people starting uh, even at Drie and the young young people uh, are, are now running the brewery and they're trying new and interesting things uh, so there's the, the exuberance of youth is coming back and I think that the Tradition will stay the same because it's very, it's very specific on how the beer is brewed, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of creative tweaks happening. And so I visited the Timmermans brewery, mm-hmm. not, not Lindemans, but Timmermans. And, um, they're doing a lot of blending. They're, they're making, um, they even had a collaboration with Guinness where they took, um, Guinness and mixed it 50, 50 with Lambic. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. They had a wit beer that I really liked that was blended 50, 50. With uh, with a lambic uh, goose yeah. and um, yeah, so there's lots of um, people trying to find their way beyond just a traditional Guzza, for example, because the market for that type of beer is very very small.
0: Yeah, it's, so, it's got it's got a probably kind of a low ceiling for yeah. how many people you're going to. Well, you know, you got the people who have always been sort of into it and tracking these things. But like, how many people can you actually get into yeah. this? It's as like sort of the like difference
1: a, between, you know, scotch whiskey, blended whiskey and, and all malt whiskey in Scotland. It's hard mm-hmm. for, I mean, there's certainly people that go crazy for a single malt whiskey. But most people end up drinking, uh, you know, blended whiskey, blended scotch.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I have um, in my whiskey journey have boiled it down to the I like single Pot still Irish whiskey. There you go. That yeah. that, that is where I'm at. Uh, yeah. I, I think I go single pot still Irish. Yeah. Every other Irish yeah. whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> Bourbon then Scotch. That 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 is my personal list. Yeah. Aaron
1: Go bra, dude. Yeah. Ireland
0: forever. Exactly. Redbreast Twelve. That's me. Yeah. That's
1: that's that's God's uh, that's God's elixir for sure.
0: Well, you mentioned something very interesting in that uh, sort of this, this idea of blenderies has been sort of coming up and bubbling yeah. up here yeah. in the States and everywhere else. Yes. And, and the idea of like, okay, I'm going to take, you know, produced beer uh, or wort and, and blend it and yep. age it and then yep. and, and bottle it. But I had never, like in my head, never once considered, oh, someone could do that, but not just use straight sour beer. Well, you know, it's it's what's you know what I mean. And it makes sense it, when you hear it, but like it would never have occurred to me. But this goes back to the way
1: things used to be. That brewers used to make beer and put it in barrels, and then they would send it to somebody else, and they would blend it and bottle it. Yeah, that was more common than not. Uh, I mean, you know, hundreds of years ago. So, so this tradition of, of a blendery uh, is is not is not new, but uh, certainly there are uh, there are new new Players in around Brussels who are buying, uh, wort or, or even beer from, um, mm-hmm. other, uh, other lambic breweries and then blending them and making their own because the really the, the, the talent in making a goose or a lambic is the blending. Yeah. Uh, because every barrel is slightly different. Since it is spontaneous, you're not really in control and, um, the beer kind of goes its own way, uh, and then you blend to to create the flavor that you want, which is uh, really probably the most important part of brewing the beer altogether.
0: Yeah, making sure the, uh, uh, at the final stages in the bottle, the, the flavor that you were aiming at got executed. Yeah, exactly. One of the things I'm really interested to, to ask about because, you know, you hear... You know, the phrase monastic and, yeah. you know, monastery and, you know, you conjures the monks with the friar tuck haircut yep, and, the, and yep. the robes and the whole deal. Yep. And it's got this sort of air about it of, of almost mysticism and mystery. What was it like going to like a, a legit monastic brewery and, and talking with the monks and all of that good stuff? well um so we went to uh we went to West Flanders mm-hmm.
1: uh, which was uh really interesting to Saint Bernardus which is uh it make had had made beer for a monastery uh West Fla in but is not now a monastery and that's in the West Flanders, which is not far from Dunkirk. Um, and it's, it's Flanders fields, you know, where the mm-hmm. big, big battles of world war one and also world war two. So it was a somewhat of a sobering trip because there are, there are graveyards everywhere. I mean, there must be, I don't know how many millions of young, young men died in that area, but I, I, I was told that, you know, since probably before Caesar, people have been going there to fight, but um we we went to the netherlands uh over the border mm-hmm. into uh to go visit uh latrap okay and uh trap is a monastery beautiful brick monastery huge monastery with beautiful gardens and a beautiful beer garden uh, lots of people lots of locals and people uh tourists uh they're you know eating food and drinking beer and there's a huge and <laughs> typ- typical um uh uh netherlandish uh, uh uh style the the um the parking area for bicycles was bigger than the parking area for cars nice uh, or at least the same size um but uh so uh la, la trap is uh the the brewing the brewing of the beer is Overseen by uh, the Bavaria Brewing Group, which is an uh, also a, a Dutch company, okay. and um, they they and the marketing and sales of the beer, and they do it under the direction of the monks, but they, they, they're the ones that do the daily work. Gotcha. So we've toured the brewery, had a nice tour and, and you know, I, I geek out in tours and we have nice com- give and take conversations about how do you do this? How do you do this? Oh, it's a great idea. And I take notes and take pictures and see how their their idiosyncratic things are different than ours. And so mm-hmm. it's a really good way as a brewer to cross-pollinate, yeah, and learn a lot. But um when we were done with the tour, the the friend of mine who was took me around. His best friend is a consultant. He's a maltster, but he's a consultant to this brewery, so they're very very close. Mm-hmm. And they were, you know, thought it was really fun that I was there. So we got to go tour the monastery, which supposedly they said, look, nobody gets this. Yeah. Nobody goes into the church. Nobody. No visitors get in. This is this yeah. is a monastery. And the, and the monks really, they're not even supposed to talk, yeah. let alone interact with with outside people. But your special guest, one of the brothers, is going to show you around. And this is um, a Trappist monastery um, in the order of St. Benedict. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, um, maybe people know that their saying is ora et labora, means pray and work. And that's pretty much what they do. Yeah. They have to survive by their own hands. So mm-hmm. they don't they everything that they they do is deliberately done by them and they're they work hard. Uh they get up at 3 30 in the morning and they pray. They have uh in the winter time the, the monk who showed us around was really nice guy and and he said um you know he's wearing the typical robe that you you know the iconic robe yeah. that monks wear and like he's,
0: the, the monk you're picturing in your head exactly, looked like this guy. <laughs>
1: exactly, exactly. Um, spoke perfect English and was very charming. Uh, he said that he had. He was probably, oh, in his fifties or sixties. He said that he had been married, and he so he went later in life uh, to, to to monasticism, mm-hmm. and um, the um, that that they have this huge huge monastery, and there used to be hundreds and hundreds of. Well, I shouldn't say hundred. There was there was, you know, many many dozens of monks, and yeah. now they're down to a very very small amount, like twenty, and they have this huge space, and so things are changing. Uh, a lot of the the uh, some of the monks come from far away, like they come from Africa. Yeah. Um, so it's not a lifestyle that is conducive to the modern. Uh, world of social media and me 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 yeah. world it's gotta be because, a tough sell these days yeah because you really he said that you really have to submit you are the the abbot the 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 uh guy in charge the mm-hmm. head dude is um has final say and you really you have to submit you have to be humble no you he said he said you can come in there and be you know you, you could be uh, uh um, maybe a doctor or a lawyer or come from a wealthy background, but you have to submit and you yeah. have to be, you have to be humble. And this is not conducive to the modern
0: world where it's all about me, me, me. Yeah. Through, through these doors, you are now the, the newest monk, uh, yeah, uh, the lowest right. one on the totem pole. And that's, that's right. the deal. <laughs> that's right. And they get
1: up, as I said, they get up at three 30 in the morning and they pray. They do get to take a nap after lunch, uh, for an hour. Mm-hmm. And, um, they, uh, they work and they pray. And he said that the monastery is very cold. He said like cold, like see your breath cold uh, in the wintertime. And, uh, so it's a stark lifestyle, uh, mostly about praying and, um, the profits from the business go to, uh, um, to, to, worthy causes to, mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, to, 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 f- to feed and, and clothe the poor. So it's a, it's a, uh, a noble endeavor. Um, and, uh, the, the, it was, it was not a lot of, not a lot of monks there. So it was, it's a huge space, like, I don't know, many hundreds of
0: thousands of square feet, a beautiful brick church. Yeah. Built in a time when like, you know, people were, as, it was a viable thing to yeah, go be the right. monk, brew the beer, Sell it yeah, to maintain right. the monastery and do your good works.
1: Th- that's right. And I think, you know, life was a lot harder that, uh, um, that uh, sometimes people um, who, who have had a hard life that t- to do that is nothing, you yeah, know, it ain't a- nothing. But if you're, you know, come from a modern world where everything is, we're, we're pretty affluent compared to what, uh, um, <laughs> yeah. what, thing, you know, I know. I hear people say the opposite, but it's really not true. Um, yeah, the, pez- but the it-
0: peasant life in like the no, 1650 1400s, pretty pretty rough. rough. Yeah, uh,
1: but in any event, it was uh, it was it was a lot of fun to see it, mm-hmm. um, especially for me uh, with my background uh, and, and and schooling. Um, it was interesting to see how they live their life. They do open it up to lay people. Uh, they bring in groups of people that will go for a, you know, like what I guess you'd call it a retreat mm-hmm. and you, you'd go and, and basically take part in the rituals that the monks go through for, you know, for some days or yeah. a week. And, um, so it was interesting.
0: Oh, uh, that, that is really interesting, especially like, you know, sort of, um, yeah. The, the religious tourism aspect of it, like live like a monk for a week and a half and yeah, help right. us raise some money, do some good, good My work. My dad used to do that. It yeah. helps, it
1: helps, um, helps you kind of get re-centered. I like, imagine, like I imagine it go, would. Going to a spa, but the difference between going to a spa is you're being pampered, but, um. This <laughs> is, is sort of stripping your life down. You yeah, have yeah, two directives today. Yeah, that's right. You're going to work, you're going to pray. Yeah. And you're going to sleep. Yeah, that's right. And you'll probably eat at some point. That's right. And you're, you're right. Stripping, I think is, is right. Is a good way. A purge.
0: So one of the questions I had about this and I know you said the, the you know sort of the monks oversee the the brewing of the beer or oh sure guide it uh, there's like a nomenclature. and it has to the beer has to be made at the monastery yeah to be trappist to be yes
1: that's to be a trappist monastery yeah. that's right
0: so there's like nomenclature right around around beer there's you know yes. certain Phrases and words and ways of being that brewers sort of can I you know sort of identify themselves with. When you were talking with, did you get an opportunity to talk with this monk about the brewing process or beer? And, and was there sort of a a, a difference in the way? they would speak about beer as opposed to say like just brewing professionals or?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I didn't really speak that much uh, to him, but mm-hmm. he said that for them to drink beer was a, uh, like on Sundays, it was, it was sort of a special thing. Yeah. It was not an in- indulgence that they would have on a regular basis. So I, I, I got the impression and I, I'm, I i can not really speak for the, for the monks, but I got the impression that beer is really just uh, a vehicle for them. Like, like they make a lot of, a lot of monasteries make cheese, for example, or chocolate, uh, even in, in this country. And I think it's, um, a way for them to fund their, uh, fund their work. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I don't think that beer was really in the forefront of his mind nor, other people's mind if certainly they like beer everybody likes well most people like beer most people should like beer yeah um and uh and he, I, I think they enjoy drinking it but uh, uh their their priority is god not not beer
0: and the and the beer simply provides yeah it's a, a vehicle a means by which they can do the work yeah. that they've dedicated their lives to exactly, exactly. Wow, that, is, that is so interesting that i'm i'm really like vicariously excited for you. (laughs) Yeah, it was was
1: unexpected. You know, I thought I was going to look at stainless steel tanks and talked about pump sizes and, and mash temperatures. And by the way, we're going to go look at the monastery. We're going to go look at the church in the monastery. Oh, that's cool.
0: That is, that is really, really cool. So I know, you know, coming back, you're always sort of energized and excited. And we had talked uh, not that long ago about going to South America. Uh, did this trip provide a certain amount of that for you as well, or was this more along the lines of just like we're 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 here to check out these these things and learn these exact things?
1: Uh, it's it's both. I came back with um, some new ideas, uh, some pages and pages of information, and I I. I... This is my. Uh, I got. I got back on Friday, so I need to sit down and put together a report uh, to give to to my brewing team of all of the things that I learned. Uh, lots of little, you know, tidbits. Uh, we visited a uh, university in Ghent, a Caho Catholic University, mm-hmm. in uh, w- which is uh, at the forefront of f- mostly around flavor stability work. They do a lot of work to improve flavor stability of beer so I met with um, one of the uh, one of the leads of that uh, of that school they have a they have a little malt house and a little brewery so we spent the day talking about flavor stability and what they're finding flavor stability is sort of like the cutting edge thing for brewers Brewers really um, that's the the last big thing Un, it's it's a it's a it's a mess of, of complex chemistry, and to try to understand it is almost nearly impossible. But uh, so uh, we spent the day talking about what they're finding, and a lot of what they're finding is that um, instability, flavor instability in beer, is already started in the malt house when the malt is being made. Oh and The wow. die is already cast, and it's just a matter of. Um, Trying to minimize the effect, but that, that, uh, the sins that have me, already been committed.
0: That to me strikes as something that would be both crazy making and a relief yeah. to, a, to a brewer. Well, like mean, it's not a relief like because but like you're puzzling over where is this coming from. Where is it? I was like, yeah. oh, it's not me. Yeah, that's <laughs> true.
1: That's true. But we always learn in brewing school that uh, be careful, never don't don't fall in the trap of blaming the monster for everything. But the point yeah, is, it could be very tempting. Valid. It's still valid. And, you know, I'm a big fan of decoction mashing. And, mm-hmm. and uh, usually uh, the dogma in the brewing industry is is that um, um, the more heat that you apply to 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 the brewing process, the worse the flavor stability will be. Gotcha. And I said, you know, I found that to be the exact opposite with decoction brewing. Decoction brewing is when you really boil the mash. Yeah. Uh, and which is not normally done nowadays. It's kind of an old school way. And he goes, yeah. He said, other brewers have told me that uh, that that decoction beer has a better flavor stability, which is kind of should not be the case. Mm-hmm. And he said it, it, it could be that you are um, denaturing these oxidative enzymes that are creating these flavors, that mm-hmm. created these flavors in the mull house. Uh, or it could be that you are forcing these oxidative reactions so far to completion that uh, the beer is, is or the wort, the, the pre-fermented beer is, uh, to the limit of oxidation and then the yeast, which is has a very strong reducing power, will get rid of them so that they don't stick around and therefore react in the package yeah. three months down the road. He said these are just two theories I have. And he has a malt house now and he's working on that. So these kind of things are really fascinating to me. And so I have pages and pages of notes and you know, papers that he's written, and uh, you know, I'm a nerd, so I, I sit and I, I read these things on at night.
0: Well, you know what? I know of at least one state in this great country that is very, very, very uh, happy that you are such a beer nerd and that you take so many uh, notes on these trips and come back with all of this knowledge and excitement for you know, where we're coming up on now. We're in the middle of the summer, but soon it's going to be fall, and yeah, and we will be looking down another brewing schedule.
1: I know it's crazy.
0: Yeah, it just keeps happening every year, huh?
1: Yeah, it goes faster and faster the older you get.
0: I'm, I'm finding that. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time today, Dan. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for your questions, Scott. Have a good one.